Hi there, and welcome to Drupal Easy Podcast number 216. My name is Mike Anello, and joining me today is someone who is straddling the guest slash co-host line, and that is Mr. Ryan Price. Hey, Ryan, how are you? Hi there yourself. Uh, yeah, I had to I had to dust off my microphone. It's been sitting in a cabinet for almost a year, it feels like. I, I remember we did like a you know, 200th episode or whatever it was, you know, Mike, this is, is there, we're past year nine on this podcast. Yeah. I don't remember exactly. I want to say we started like in the spring. So we're, we're just about on, or are we on year 10? I forget. I'd have to, I think it was actually 2000. I want to say 2008, but that can't be right. Maybe that's when I started. No, that's probably, I think that's when I got my Drupal.org ID. That's when I created my account. So it's probably nine or 10 years. I think that's a pretty safe bet. As podcasts go, this is kind of an anomaly. Like I've actually been to like podcast meetups here in Portland. And I asked, you know, everyone in the room, like who here was making a podcast before Serial came out, you know, the NPR show. And there's a few people that raised their hands and I'm like, okay, who here was making podcasts before the iPhone came out and nobody raises their hand. <laughs> All right. Well, we got that going for us. Except for like me and one other person. So yeah, you used to do a lot of podcasting. Yeah. When I was, when I was young and I had free time and no babies. <laughs> That's it. It's the kids. They are, they're like free time. Time sucks. Well, and, and also, I mean, I had, you know, like I was, I would have like girlfriends or whatever at the time, but I didn't have like a serious relationship with somebody that wanted to spend a lot of quality time with me. Uh, you know, having other people in your life that, that want to do things with you gives you less time to be a crazy person and run around with a microphone sometimes. Exactly. So what are you doing these days? I work at a company called Autodesk. You may have heard of them. I've heard of them. I've actually taught their software in, a, in another life. Wow. So yeah, um, Autodesk, you know, some people know it because of like architecture and engineering. So like Fusion 360 or AutoCAD, or if you have anything to do with like 3D modeling of something, Autodesk is probably in there. Um, they also own Maya and 3D Studio Max and a bunch of like you know, tools used to create movies, but then their new thing is like modernizing the construction industry. So we don't need to do a big commercial for Autodesk, but it's pretty interesting. And then specifically, they have a bunch of Drupal sites. They have some Drupal 7 sites, some Drupal 8 sites. Um, interesting is if you go to the website that I help maintain, knowledge.autodesk.com, and you like look at an article, when you view the article, it's actually being loaded out of Apache Solar. It's not being loaded directly out of Drupal, unless it was like just created and there's this like limbo where it's still a Drupal article and it's not yet been put into the index. It's crazy. I actually taught AutoCAD, and I can't remember if it was when I was a grad student or when I was adjunct. Because after I, after I got my master's, I taught as an adjunct professor for a few years. But I actually think it was before. I actually think it was when I was a grad student. One of the courses I, I got stuck with teaching was an AutoCAD class. That was a long time ago. So you're doing... Um, all right, so you're relatively new at Autodesk, right? That's, that has, it's only been a few months from what I remember. Yeah, I mean, I just passed 90 days. Just sorry, is that like probation? Are you off probation yet? <laughs> no, it's just the first time you have to change your password. They were like, hey, oh. <laughs> password changed, 90 days. And I was like, oh, okay. This is corporate policies. There's a, there's like a thing, enterprise security. So does that mean your password, your password is now password two? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> so interestingly enough, though, like, they make all of their developers, right? And it's a software company. So they employ thousands and thousands of developers. There's like 10,000 people. Um, they make every developer who works for the company take security classes. And you do it through this like, you know, little online um, LMS kind of system. So they have like the white belt training and the green belt training. And apparently the, the level of job I'm at, I only need to be a green belt. 
but the the classes are open to everybody so you can take anything you want so that teaches basically just good principles of like not clicking on links and emails and changing your password no i mean like like it it teaches you like the last class that i you know took recently was teaching you about like TLS and SSL encryption and like the different kinds of algorithms that can be used and kind of why some of the older encryption methods have been cracked and stuff like that. So it's trying to give you like a modern education in security because there's maybe a lot of these people, you know, you if you go to school for computer science, for example, they don't necessarily cover in their curriculum how to know which algorithms are, you know, have been cracked for security purposes. Or even if you did, let's say you went when I was in school, which is now like 15 plus years ago, you know, they wouldn't have been able to teach the most current security methods back then. So they just want to make sure everybody's on the same page. That makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. So today we are going to, we're going to kind of have a, a potpourri. Of, of topics today. Um, some stuff that you've been working on, some stuff that I've seen in the community, and we're just going to kind of ramble our way through um, some topics which I hope are of interest to our listeners. But before we get to that, let's talk about Drupal Aid, which is DrupalAid.com. They provide support, proactive maintenance, and you know your basic website fixes starting at $99 per site per month. Um, no contracts, you know, relatively simple monthly plans. You can sign up online and cancel anytime. Uh, they support Drupal 6, 7, and 8. And the idea is that if you build sites for someone or if you have a bunch of Drupal sites yourself and you don't want to have to, you know, get involved in some of the more mundane tasks of keeping core and modules up to date, you can have Drupal 8 do that for you. So, for our listeners, it's very important to remember that they have an affiliate plan. So if you are a Drupal contractor or a consultant or an agency, um, rather than having your developers spend time you know, updating modules and core for your current or past clients, this is something that you can refer to Drupal Aid and you will earn $100 um, for any clients that you refer to them. So it's very easy. You can go online, sign up for their affiliate plan, and get paid. So definitely check that out. You can go to drupalaid.com slash affiliates. That's drupalaid.com slash affiliates. And uh, you're definitely going to want to check that out. It will basically free you up from the main mundane tasks and allow you to do the things that hopefully you love doing as a web developer, and that's building sites. All right, so Ryan, where should we start? That is a good question. Uh, it's interesting. We're behind the scenes. We're doing a, a different way of recording the podcast than we used to do, which is great. Uh, but in order to unmute myself, I have to switch to another tab. <laughs> so <laughs> if, if ever I take a second to uh, answer, there's a reason. Ryan, no one's going to ever know because I will edit those long pauses out unless they're really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll leave that first one in there just because it's it's long enough to be awkward but not long enough to be annoying. So I think it's kind of in the sweet spot there. But you've been working on some stuff involving um, CircleCI and continuous integration with automated tests. And this is a topic that you mentioned this, and I'm going to kind of steal your line, you mentioned this as we were getting ready to start recording that this is one of those topics that it's almost all or nothing, right? Either mm. you as a developer are using this and you're into it and it makes sense or you're not using it and you, you know, you it's almost like a, like a foreign language to you. There's very, very few people I think are in the middle. Yeah. So this, this sort of came about, um, because in our Drupal meetup, you know, here in Portland, I've been running it for the last year. And so I've been responsible for figuring out what we're going to talk about. And some of it is just based on interest. And some of it is based on sort of like listening to people and hearing what their sort of like hangups are with what's going on. And a lot of people, you know, they're getting ready to move to Drupal 8, or maybe they've already moved to Drupal 8. And Drupal 8 is sort of in this like, hybrid zone where you don't 
necessarily have to use composer to do Drupal 8, but you kind of have to. And then it's getting more and more pressing to like, you know, if you look at the documentation for Drush today, it says you should just install Drush with composer and you should install it, you know, in your site directory. Don't, don't do it any other way, which is fine unless you don't have a lot of confidence with how that works. And then, you know, you come to the user group and you start talking to people about Composer and they say, oh, are you checking in your your vendor folder? And are you checking in your, you know, your modules folder and stuff like that? And people are like, what, why wouldn't I? You know, like, like they don't know there's another way to do it. And then you start talking to them about it. They're like, okay, but how do I then deploy to my production server? And then you go, aha, <laughs> this is where you need to get a continuous integration tool. And you're like, can I just, you know, push the files up with, not necessarily with FTP, but you know, like in the olden days, we used to just FTP our modules up, or we used to just sometimes just log into the server and just drush download a new file. And then, you know, you kind of talk to them and you say, okay, well, you want to be able to repeatably know that when you're doing this project for a client, that's like a business critical application that the thing you've tested on your local or on your dev server is going to be exactly the same thing that you have deployed. And one of the really great things that Composer and Composer lock files and Git repositories can do for you is know that this code is the exact same code that's over here. And this database that I tested is the exact same database. You know, it's going to work with everything. Right. And you can repeat that deployment. It's not like a one time I copy the files over and hope it works, but you can test that deployment with a, basically a script over and over again. Not really a script, but... And so when I was working at Palantir, this was just baked into every project. Um, when, you know, when we were getting ready to start working on a new project, like the first week of that project is just to get all this stuff set up for that project, figure out... Um, and there's lots of questions you have to ask when you first start out. It's like, what hosting company are we going to be hosting with? Because some some of them have a preference about what you call the document root folder, right? On Acquia's Docroot, on Palin, um, Pantheon is web, and sometimes it's configurable, you know. But there's kind of a preference for some of these things. But then um, I bring up Acquia and Pantheon because I think they're both fairly popular in the Drupal community. And one of the weird things about Acquia and Pantheon is they sort of came around in an era just before Composer was a thing. So they kind of still require you to have all of your stuff checked into your repository, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but then it adds this extra wrinkle in that now you have to have, if you like having your, your working Git repository, the one that you have like on your laptop to be kind of clean and doesn't have all the code and all the vendor folder and everything checked in. Now that essentially what that means is you have to have two Git repositories one for working in and one for hosting with. Right. And then you need something in between that basically, you know, when you're ready to push to, you know, a remote host, you need something in between that basically takes your thin repository and does what it needs to do to turn it into a, you know, a, a fat repository. Yeah. And, you know, for a lot of people, if you know a little bit about shell scripting and you know how to, use the copy command, then you're good to go. Like you don't necessarily have to do this all by using a circle CI, which we're going to talk about in a second, I think, but there, there are some distinct advantages to saying, if I'm going to go in for a penny, I should go in for the whole pound. And that's a very British expression because in America, we would probably say a dollar, but we still say pound. Explain that one to me, Mike. That's true. I cannot explain that. I have no explanation. <laughs> I don't. I don't. You know. I don't hear that phrase all that often. But that's a whole other discussion. Um. So so it's sort of like once you start dipping your toes into this water of like, well, maybe I shouldn't have you know all my modules checked in, and maybe I should you know use Composer to deploy, and maybe I should have a second Git repository, and maybe I should have a script. Then then I'm going to start asking you things like, well. Do you have any way of saying, you know what, this version that I'm working on right now, like this latest feature that I just added, that 
this this breaks something. So I'm going to start asking you, do you have any sort of tests set up on your Drupal site? And the easiest test that I can think of is probably like Behat. So Behat is out there. I believe we've probably talked about on the podcast many times before. Um, and the thing I was telling to people at the user group meeting this week was you don't have to do a lot with Behat to just get started with it. Like come up with like the five most important pages on your site and generate a Behat test that will let you know whether or not that important feature is kind of working. You know, like if I go to this page, do I see the following words or do I see, you know, the form field that I want or something like that. And then as time goes by and as bugs happen and as, you know, as you check in a new module and some new block disappears or reappears or something like that, then add a new BHAT test for that. You know, you can you can incrementally sort of like wade into the pool of automated testing. But that, that this is asking a lot, right? So this is, I, I look at this from the perspective of, you know, someone who is comfortable with PHP yes. and comfortable with Git yes. and comfortable with working, you know, on a remote environment via SSH, right? So I can, you know, in the Drupal 7 days, you can work locally, you can commit your changes, you can SSH into some other server, you can pull them in, and that all kind of makes sense. And, you know, over time, we develop muscle memory for that type of thing. Yep. This becomes, you know, working with a, you know, number one with Drupal 8, we're adding in a bunch of new um, technology. We're adding in Composer. So that's something that, you know, if you're working in Drupal 8, you, you kind of need to know Composer at this point. Um, and then the difference between understanding like why a thin repository, you know, why checking in your dependencies versus not checking in your dependencies, pros and cons of that. And this is one of those things where, okay, well, I'm learning Composer, and if I can make this one little change in my .gitignore and check everything in, then my workflow that I already know remains the same, other than I have to learn these, these few new Composer commands. And for a lot of people, that, that's enough, right? That, you know, my workflow of pushing stuff in, SSHing to the remote, doing a git pull, there's my code. Everything makes sense. So, so I think the the for me when the wrinkles start showing up in that system, it's not a bad system. If you're doing that now, please continue doing it, um, unless you're sort of inspired by this this discussion. But as soon as you want to then start sharing your work with someone else, right? You have two people kind of working on the same thing, then they want to say, okay, well, what's changed recently? Let me look at the the Git commits and see what's new. And then depending on what your sort of Git hygiene is about, you know, how fastidious you are about sort of separating out those vendor directory changes from other things, they're going to see hundreds and hundreds of files have changed and they're just going to shut down and say, I don't know what to look at. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's true. And it, like you kind of, you were going, you're going the same direction I was thinking, like there has to be a tipping point of, you know, this is working for me now, committing all my dependencies, dependencies to the repo, but there has to be a problem that needs to be overcome that's going to motivate a team or an individual or a team to say, okay, I have to figure out a better way. And I think it's, it's pretty clear most of the time, the better way is, as you're saying, not checking in those dependencies and then using a second repository along with some type of continu continuous integration server. But that's a, that's a fairly big change for a project. It, it is. So, 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 the, so, the, so I guess what I'm saying, because it's such a big change for a project and there's knowledge that has to be attained in order to make that change, that has to be proportional to the size or the scope of the problem that it's going to solve. What I will say is in the in the current era we're in of Drupal 8 and Composer, if you're already using Composer, this gets a lot easier. Like if in the in the Drupal 7 era, 
if you weren't using a Drush make script or you, you know, you weren't using composer or some other way of like managing dependencies like that, then this was also forcing you to sort of codify what you had in your site. And that was not always easy. If you look at Drupal 7 and the way that Drupal 7, like if you were, you ever, ever had to use the dev version of a module and you look at the version of the module to say like, you know, 4.7 beta, and then maybe sometimes there's like a little plus after it with like a little hash. And those are not easy to composerify. Yeah, well, I'm not sure I completely agree with you. And here's why. Because for the most part, uh, you can get by, maybe not get by 100%, but get by 80, 90% um, by learning Composer as a replacement for Drush DL and Drush Up. Yes. Right. It's kind of a necessary. I'm, you know, I'm swapping out Drush DL and Drush Up with, you know, Composer Require and Composer Up. Well, and I think at some point with Drupal eight and and uh, Drush, Drush just said, we're turning off Drush DL. Just don't. Right. So that. So so learning compose. So learning Composer. It's not like you're adding something new. I mean, you're adding something new, but you're you're replacing an, an old tool. I don't want to call it Drush old, but it, uh, an obsolete command with a new command that just happens to be a composer command instead of a Drush command. Yep. I think the next leap, you know, to using to not committing your dependencies and then getting this Circle CI, you know, in a, you know, this it doesn't have to be Circle CI, but this continuous integration server involved. I think that's a much bigger leap than going from Drush DL to Composer Require. And that's what I, that's what I was trying to say before is, you know, moving from Drush DL to Composer Require is not that difficult, and it solves a little problem. Moving from a single repository where everything's checked in to a dual repository model with a continuous integration server, that's a much bigger leap because we don't really have an analog to that in the old days. Um, so. So the, the size of the win, the, the, the amount of the advantage that we gain by doing that has to be large enough to warrant the investment of time and resources to learn that new stuff. Well, and this is, I think this is one of those, like, I don't want to say the word death by a thousand cuts because that sounds like it's a bad thing, but like, you know, like a lot of little things all add up to be like, you will sleep better at night kind of moment, um, which is... If you are able to run a couple of tests, if you are able to make sure that the database updates apply cleanly, if you are able to, you know, make sure that there's not going to be merge conflicts when you try to merge this over here, and um, you know, running a coding style check. That's that's this is what the challenge is. The challenge is is exactly what you're saying right now. It's like. Is there, well, there is, but you know, what is the argument that can be made to convince someone that adopting this is in their best interest? Yeah. And all the things you're mentioning are spot on. And, and even like from the perspective of, you know, using Composer or not, there's probably even a couple of things that people, they could do with Composer and maybe they don't, or they, you know, they don't know that they can. Like one thing that got me recently is like, we have a Drupal 7 site and it's not being managed with Composer or anything right now. And there's just a folder in the project root that's called patches. And a certain module got updated and I didn't look in the patches folder to see if this module had any patches. And you broke something. And there was this bug and people were like, oh, it looks like the theme is broken. The theme is broken. And I just listened to them because they've been here for longer than 90 days. And then at one point I looked in the patches folder and I said, I broke it. I didn't, I didn't repatch this module that needed to be patched. And that's one of the really nice features of, uh, well, composer and the composer patches. Uh. Yeah. If you, if you have composer that you've started from one of the like, sort of like semi-official Drupal composer projects that's out there, um, we'll put a link to it in the show note. Um, it's, I think it's, is it just called? Drupal dash composer on GitHub. 
It's uh, the composer template for Drupal projects. I have it right here. So, so that that project, and actually, I've started to see um, other people. They sort of like clone that project and they tweak it a little bit, but they always kind of give credit back. Like we started with this as our template, and now we're doing this other thing. It will include automatically a composer library that allows you to patch files. And one of the other really, really great things is the format for that patching system encourages you to leave a little note that says, this is what this patch is for. These are so many people I've seen that patch things and they just sort of like leave a link to the file. And I've done it. And I'm like, what is this patch for? The, the bad ones are if you patched it and then you just sort of like leave the patch folder in that directory or something like at least put your patches in one place <laughs> make your life a little bit easier but but make your life even easier and put all your patches in that one folder and then make a couple of lines in your composer file these this is one of the only things that i think in composer you really have to do by hand is edit that file and add a couple of lines to that json file yep. all right so we have a few topics here so i'm gonna i'm gonna keep us moving um <laughs> So let me. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you uh, a couple questions here, and you kind of already answered it, but just to let's summarize here. Um, in your opinion, what is? Let's just pick one. What is the biggest win when moving from a single repository with dependencies committed to a dual repository model, or to to a? a I don't want to say dual repository model, but to a. Um, a model where your dependencies are not committed and you're using an integration server to run tests and, and, and stuff like that. What's the single biggest reason to do that, in your opinion? I think for me, it really comes down to when you look back at your, your files and you say, what changed between this day and this day? It's one file. And it's the composer JSON file and I guess the composer lock file. And it says, this module we uploaded from version five to version six. Done. And you're not looking at all the files in the modules directory or if it has any dependencies in the vendor directory. Yeah, I think I think that might be it. It's just like if you if you if you look at a stack of papers on your desk and then someone were to ask you, like, you know, where's your your bill from, you know, the June of 2017? I don't know. But if you have like a system, an index that tells you the bill for June of 2017 is, you know, over there, then you, the only thing you need to do is just make sure that index is up to date. And, and that stack of papers, you know, you never need to look at it unless you actually need to access that actual thing. All right. So you have a couple of really good resources. Really, really good. <laughs> Yeah, I think they're both can be considered kind of introductory yeah, to using CircleCI and, and, and producing artifacts. So you want to talk about those real quick, then we'll move on to another topic. So one is, and I have to say to Wompy, um, you, you saved me this week because this past weekend, my wife was sick, my baby was sick, I was sick, and I knew that I had the Drupal meetup coming up and we were going to be talking about um, you know deploying things with Composer. And I just ran out of time and I found Wampy's article and within 30 minutes, I kid you not, I am not exaggerating even a little bit within 30 minutes. I had it on circle CI and it was working. <laughs> so this is a really, really easy resource that you can go check this out. Here's what I did. I forked his Git repository. I, created an empty Drupal 8 database, you know, just the standard install. I uploaded that database to Dropbox. I got the URL for that Dropbox and I put in an environment variable in circle to, sh to say where my database dump should be. Then I connected my GitHub account to my circle account and I pushed build. There are maybe a few more steps than that, but that was it. 30 minutes, I'm telling you. This is easy to do. Okay, but so so okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna debunk that a little bit. Have you ever used Circle CI before that? I have used it before, yes. Okay, so you know that's where I think that's a big stumbling block. That's just the you know for someone brand new to this, like even explaining conceptually or understanding conceptually what 
Circle CI is and does. And, I mean, once you have to get past that hurdle, I think, first, before you can implement something that you're talking about in, in 30 minutes. I think that's a fair statement, right? That, that is true. There's a, there, are, there are probably a few hurdles to get over just mentally. Um, one other th- really cool thing I learned, which I didn't know before, is that CircleCI has a command line tool now. So if you are if you like Docker, if you've read Mike's book on DDEV, plug, plug. Um, if, Thank you very much. <laughs> if you like Docker a little bit, um, the newer versions of Circle use uh, Docker. You know, in, in Wampy's uh, thing there, he's actually got like a special Docker image he prepared just for this example. And then you can actually download Circle CI's little command line tool and you have to have the Docker client running and all that stuff. But you can run all the same things that CircleCI would run in the cloud on your laptop. And um, one great thing that means is you can do CircleCI and you can test out your config before you ever have to go to the server. Or if you're on an airplane or you're in a place that has a bad connection, you can still run your tests and push your stuff over to the other repository and whatever it is that you have to do without ever having to leave the confines of your machine. So they have some cool tools there. Um, we didn't really talk about this, but there's, there's Circle CI is not the only CI tool. There are others. We could probably have a whole podcast just talking about the others and why there's good things and bad things about all of them. Yeah, and resource number two um, is a, a DrupalCon talk from DrupalCon New Orleans. So it sounds like it's old, but the information in it is truly timeless. There's a little bit um, of time where she talks about using vagrant images, but then she says, but look at Docker. And so, you know, like she knows that this talk is going to be out of date soon when she makes it. And it's Michelle Krejci, um, who I believe at the time she was working for Pantheon. I don't actually, I didn't really check to see where she's working now, but, um, one of the reasons why this is important, this comes full circle is I learned how to use circle at Palantir. Michelle Krejci was working at Palantir and, you know, was in that whole loop of getting them to use circle CI and everything. And then about, I think six months after she started working at Pantheon, when she did this DrupalCon talk, it's a really, really great talk. I think we had her, we had her on the podcast a while, I mean, years ago. It was a while ago, yeah. It was for something Vagrant related from what I remember. Didn't she have like a... I believe it. Yeah, like a project, a Drupal.org project about using Vagrant to set up your local development environment or something like that. Yeah, that's it. But yeah, the presentation that you're talking about, it's called Production is an Artifact of Development. Um, it's it really, it's it's conceptual and it answers a lot of, it's, it's almost like the first thing you should look at. If you're interested in this, this kind of lays out all the concepts. Yeah, if you, if you want to try to convince your other teammates why this is a good idea and you don't want to, you know, like go through everything we just did in 30 minutes in this podcast, watch this video. You will get so much ammunition. And particularly if you are a, well, no, actually any, anybody who works with website production should be thinking about these tools. Even if your main job is not Drupal and it's some other thing, you should be having an automated process. You should have a repeatable way to create the production artifacts that you need to create your live website. And I should be able to come to you and say, in the next you know, short amount of time, can you give me exactly the right things to host this website and you should be able to say no problem. And if it's a process or you have to like go consult some documentation, just having this one thing taken out of your brain and put into a shell script is going to save your life so many times. It will, you will sleep better at night knowing that this has been handed off to the, the rightful owner of this task, which is the machine. You're very passionate about this. I, I'm enjoying the passion. I like when I don't have to do something that I had to do a hundred times. Like, like (laughs) I've, I've done this and I've done it and I've done it and I've done it and I've done it. And anytime anyone asks me to do something now and I have to like manually do this, I'm like, I know there's a better way. 
I've seen the promised land. I have crossed the river and it's over there. Why can't we do this on the other side of this river and then eat a sandwich? Instead, I'm sitting here like fighting with, you know, things. Right. Okay. So we're about a half hour in. I've been trying to keep the podcast about 45 minutes lately. So let's um, move with let's uh, move with um, purpose through the next three topics. How about that? Sounds good. Let's sh- shift gears to um, something called Open Dev Shop, Ooh. which I believe we've had John on. The we podcast did. We totally had John on the podcast a couple of years ago. It's funny. I don't think I was on that episode, but as soon as I, I listened think it was me to and Ted, it, or Ted and I, I should say. Yeah, as soon as I listened to it, I was like, I'm going to download this right now. Yeah, give it. Explain it to me like I'm five. Yes. Let's do a little little Reddit um, uh, game here. Explain uh, Open Dev Shop. If if you are a Drupal hobbyist as well as someone who does this as your job, if you have Drupal sites that you host yourself, um, this comes as no offense to the bigger hosting companies, but I don't have a hundred dollars a month per site in my back pocket. I just don't. Um, if this was for a business purpose, I would gladly sh- shell it out, right? But I want to be able to host my own Drupal websites on an inexpensive server. And I want a quick way to make sure that I know the environment is working and that when I want to create a new site that I don't have to go and look at a piece of paper and say, now, how do I add a Apache config file for this? And how do I add a blah, blah, blah. I want to be able to push a button and this is another one of those automation things. I want to be able to push a button and say, there's a new environment ready to go. And there's a great tool. It's called Open Dev Shop. Um, there's a small team of people that maintain it. And you go to a brand new server, whatever your favorite hosting provider is. I like Linode. You, you boot up a Linode, you download this one shell script, and you run it. And it sets up everything that you need on your server instantly and about half an hour later you have got a drupal site that you can use to install other drupal sites so some people have heard of agar before this uses agar under the hood but there's like a usability layer on top of it and a bunch of scripts that like know how to check out things from git repositories it knows how to run composer it knows how to run behat tests it knows how to clone an environment. So if you want to really quickly say, you know what, I've got a dev site and a live site, but I need a quick sandbox site because I want to test out a thing and I can't mess up those other two sites. I just want to clone this site and have a new environment just for playing around with. And then a few minutes later, I want to destroy it. All of these things you do through a handy GUI or drush commands and it just works. It's really, really great. Um, it's completely free. There is a supported hosted model that you can sort of do where you'll have, you know, like on-call support with, with John and his team. If you want, it's great. What's the reason you're bringing this up? I, I know the reason cause I'm looking at the notes, but I personally use it. I've been using it for a while. I just recently sort of like went through this round of like reorganizing a lot of my websites. I was, I realized I was paying for a lot of servers that I didn't really need to be paying for, especially because I'm not using a lot of these websites anymore. So I was kind of consolidating some things. And then a few weeks ago, um, John opened up this thing that's called Open Collective. And it's like a crowdfunding model. I know we've talked about it on the podcast before. And so... I'm thinking about talking about it some more as well. Cool. Yeah, it's a great it's a great site. We... Um, our local Drupal conference here, we're, we're switching to open collective for our financial sponsorship. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, um, so John has started up open collective for, um, for open dev shop. And so I actually funded them. I it's, it's a la Patreon, right? I give them a couple dollars a month to say, thank you for making this amazing tool. And also I'm starting to get involved with, um, just kind of helping them test out new versions of of Open Dev Shop when they want to add new features and stuff like that. They would really like to have WordPress support. I personally would really like them to have WordPress support. And it says 
you know, on their open dev shop, there's like the little thermometer, like, like almost like you would have on a Kickstarter project. Like if we can get enough people fiscally sponsoring open dev shop that they will start working on WordPress support, which I personally would love because I like hosting WordPress sites sometimes too for personal projects or for friends or something like that, that don't really need a whole Drupal site. Um, and it'd be great if I could just use them all in the same interface. All right. Very good. Yeah. So open dev shop. We like, we like that project. Um, good people behind it. So if, if what Ryan said resonates with you, if you self host a bunch of smaller sites, um, definitely, you know, want to check that out. All right. So I'm going to talk about a couple of, um, things that I saw come across a Drupal planet. This is kind of like a throwback episode for us where we used to cover like news and, you know, we need to have a couple of news stories that we, we talk about. Um, but there have been two stories uh, in the past month or so that really kind of caught my eye that I, I wanted to you know, kind of shine a little bit of a spotlight on. And the first one is um, involves hook help. So for those of you that build modules in, 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 um, in Drupal 8 or Drupal 7, for that matter, probably aware of hook help. And the idea behind hook help is that it, um, it exposes some help text about your module or you can implement this hook and expose some help text um, about your module um, through the Drupal user interface. Um, what this blog post talks about is a, uh, a PHP um, a package that you can utilize that basically takes the contents of the module's readme.txt file and exposes that automatically through hook help. I honestly don't know why we wouldn't have done this years ago. <laughs> this is such a great idea. This seems like this should be in core. Yeah. Right. This is kind of what this is kind of like what you get on GitHub, right? If you ever read me on, you know, in your on the the doc root of or the, the the root of your GitHub repository, that automatically shows up on the, the top of the project page. Yeah. This seems like a no brainer to me. This seems like this should be. I would love to see something like this in like the composer template. Um, this is a really cool little project. It's it's dead simple to implement. It's like two lines of code inside of Hook Help, and poof, your README is now um, surfaced uh, through the Drupal UI. Well, and and if you're a developer and you have to hand off control of you know custom code to your client at some point, and and you know they're eventually they're gonna, you're not going to be de the developer. Someone else is going to be. You want to have that documentation, and you want to put the documentation in the repository. So why not also put it in the Drupal site? It's amazing. Yeah, it's just a couple of lines and expose it to, you know, non-developers. It's it, it's, a, it's a no brainer project. So um, I guess I, I should give um, credit to the folks. It's just a blog post. It is, uh, I don't know the person's name other than Christoph. Belgian people. Belgian people, yes, from colorfield.be. So there will be a link in the show notes for sure. Um, I mean, even the blog post is short. It's, I saw it, I'm like, geez, Louise, why, why doesn't everybody just do this automatically and be done with it? So really like that one. The other one is kind of been something I've been wondering about. So um, I do a lot of migrations. It was funny because there was, uh, I think it was either Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday of this week, I was literally running three migrations, or I was working on three migrations at the same time. I was running one on a remote server. I was testing one um, uh, locally. And then I was also building a new one locally all at the same time. And I, I, I stopped myself and said, what are you doing? This is, I was, I called it, I was triple tasking mm -hmm. at that moment. And I was triple tasking on three migrations for three different projects, which is kind of cool. For, as someone who does a lot of migrations and is, you know, I've kind of always been um, really interested in that space. You know, I've used feeds in, in Drupal 7 and the migrate module in Drupal 7. And of course, the, the migrate and core stuff in Drupal 8. Um, one of the kind of the interesting things that I don't hear a whole lot of people talking about yet is there's not really a feeds module for Drupal 8. Yeah. And one of the things that a lot of people used feeds for, in addition to, you know, consuming RSS um, uh, feeds from, from other websites and creating, you know, entities um, out of them. Um, a lot of people used feeds module, including me, as an easy way to migrate CSV data into a, a Drupal 7 site. For sure. I'm sorry, Ryan. Go ahead. No, I'm, I'm just I'm just saying like this this specific thing came up 
um, you know, even let's say you even have like a calendar file. This is one of the most common use cases that I know of is like someone has a calendar file of like even even things like, you know, the um, all the company holidays. We've got it in this format and we want to just squirt it into our website. And if it makes a change, we want to be able to update it. And we don't have to want to manually go in and fix everything. And you don't want to have to manually, like, you shouldn't have to get task one of your developers with creating a migration for it. Yeah. Although that's kind of where we're at right now in Drupal 8, is if you have data in CSV format and you want it in Drupal 8, I mean, you kind of have to write a migration for it, a little custom module and configure that migration and run it. And, and there you go. Um, so when I saw this article, um, by, and I, again, I have to look at his name, uh, Travis Tomka from Atten Design, who I think is Atten, is that up near you, Ryan? Is that Pacific Northwest? It's Colorado. Oh, Colorado. Okay. Oh, that's right. Okay. I don't know. I'm getting the, them confused with someone. Um, but anyway, so I saw this blog post about this new module called Entity Import. And the module, as of yesterday, did not have an official release yet. Um, the blog post is from about two weeks ago, the end of February 2019. And basically what Travis wrote about was this new module called Entity Import, which basically provides a user interface to the Drupal 8 migration system that's currently only for CSV data. So in my opinion, it fills this kind of missing gap that feed, we used to use feeds for in Drupal 7, um, we don't really have a UI for, not, it's not that we don't really, we don't have a UI to easily import CSV data in Drupal 8. This module is showing some promise to kind of fill that gap. Um, like I said, it doesn't have a release yet. It seems very early stages for this module. Um, the blog post is fantastic. It lays it all out. It has plenty of screenshots. Um, but if you're looking for a solution for this particular problem, I would definitely implore you to check this out and, um, you know, file issues and ask questions and, um, you know, contribute back to this project because this seems like this could be something that'd be really useful for a lot of people. So so here's another one. Because this uses Migrate, I can give you a very specific case that we kind of had. You want to create a bunch of let's just say it's nodes, it could be files or anything that you can do with migrate, right? Using a migration, you want to import a CSV file. Great, I've imported all those things. But then as time goes on, maybe someone goes and edits those nodes or something like that. If you are using straight migrate, the next time that you import on top of that, if that other, if, if any of those rows that has been updated in Drupal has a new timestamp in the, in the spreadsheet, it's going to get overwritten. So my recommendation to this client was, well, clone the following PHP files and do some search and replace and make a brand new migration that's called, you know, file migration two, so that you don't mess up file migration one. Because at the time there was no like repeatable way to push a button and say, I want a new CSV importer. I want a new CSV importer. And I talked about this, you know, with the with the migrate community. And just at the time that I was doing this, there was not a solution for it. And people said, this is a good idea. We'd like to work on it. We'd like to have the time. It looks like Atten has gotten a big leap forward in that direction. Serious kudos. Absolutely. All right. Let's, um, let's move on. So obviously links to all this stuff will be in the show notes on drupalisi.com. Let me mention real quick, the next um, instance or the next uh, uh, two hour uh, professional local development with DDEV workshop that I'll be giving. I give them every month. I just gave one earlier this week. It will be April 17th. It's uh, $75 uh, live online. Um, you get, um, you actually get a free copy of my book. I throw that in there as well. Um, two hours um, of just you know getting comfortable with DDEV. Let's play with DDEV. Let's clone a site. Let's um, we cover almost every single one of the DDEV commands. It's got a relatively small command set. The idea is that if you want to switch to a modern local development environment, um, this workshop is going to give you the confidence to do it. That's the goal. And as I mentioned, um, you get a free copy of the book. Uh, actually, version two of the book is now available on Amazon and elsewhere. 
Um, the big difference in version two, obviously, it's updated with all the, the changes to DDEV since version one, um, with a couple of new chapters specifically for sh the WordPress community. Oh. So using DDEV with WordPress. Um, but it does have chapters on um, adding a solar container and using DDEV with Xdebug, both from Ooh, the browser and the command line. Yes, so I, I use Xdebug with debugging migrations from the command line, dare I say, almost every day. Um, it's, you know, it's a game changer as far as, you know, figuring out what the heck's, you know, the problem is with, you know, with whatever migration issue I'm, I'm trying to figure out. So, um, yeah, check that out. Get the book if you'd like. It's, it's cheap. It's six, I think it's six ninety nine. I don't think they upped the price. I should probably double check that. Uh, I mean, it's less than 10 bucks for the electronic version. And you definitely want the electronic version because then you get free updates. So it is, oh, $5.99 on, oh, well, let me see. Is it $5.99 on the Kindle version? Yes. Yes, it's $5.99. And if you buy the hardcover version, you can get the Kindle version for $3. Oh, my gosh. It's so cheap. You should buy it. <laughs> it's so cheap. Or just take the workshop and I'll give you a copy because... You know, I'm not going to be buying my my uh, a Tesla with the, the book proceeds. So, just trying to get into as many hands as possible. Um, and I would I would normally be promoting um, my DrupalCon Seattle workshop that Ryan is um, is participating in, um, the Intro to Drupal 8 Module Development, but it's sold out. Ooh, sold out. So thank you very much to uh, everyone who registered for it. And I want to spend a few minutes here, Ryan, to talk about DrupalCon Seattle which is taking place uh, April 8th through 12th, Monday through fi Friday, April uh, 8th through 12th in, uh, in the Emerald City, I believe Seattle is. Sounds right. It's a different format this year. And I know this has caused a lot of confusion for a lot of people because the price is, is higher. I mean, there's no doubt about it. The builder track, which I think most people who listen to this podcast would, would, would be interested in. The, the builder track is DrupalCon Classic. DrupalCon Classic, exactly. I don't know what the early bird price was. It's now we're past that, but it's right now it's nine ninety five, and I believe for students uh, they get fifty percent off if you're a, a student. Um, there's also an agency leadership track, which is also nine hundred ninety five dollars. There's also a content and marketing track, which is seven hundred ninety five dollars and sold out. Interesting. And then th there's a number of summits. Um, you know, there's a community summit, there's higher education summit, there's all these different summits. I, I think there is one summit that is like $10 or something like that. I think the community summit is uh, that one. Yeah. If I click on this link, if actually, if you can click on that link while I'm... But there are, there are some really, really cool summits. There's like a decoupled Drupal summit that in, if you think about being able to go to this entire conference, just talking about... It, I don't remember exactly what it's called, but let's say it's called, oh yeah, Decoupled CMS, sorry. Um, the Decoupled CMS Summit, this is an entire unconference. So if you've never been to an unconference before, you want to check these things out. But um, it's a whole day conference. And, you know, considering what like the price of the regular DrupalCon ticket is, and you know how much it costs to have an event in one of these big convention centers, this is this is a really, really good deal. Yeah, so the and I, I should change the, uh, the our notes here, but the community summit is ten dollars. The other summits, I believe, are either one hundred ninety nine dollars or two hundred fifty dollars, depending on the summit. And I actually, I'm a big fan of the fact that they spread the trainings and the summits out over two days. Now that we have this extra time, because now I can help with tr teaching a, a training for you, but I can still go to a summit on the next day. No one was happier than me when I found out that the community summit was on. Tuesday and my training was on Monday. Yeah. Because so I've never been able to attend the community summit. So that's where I will be on Tuesday. Yeah. The trainings, the um the current price for the trainings, the non-early bird price is five hundred dollars. Many of them are sold out. This is the first time that I've sold out mine. Um so I'm gonna come circle back to that in a minute. Well and and the other thing is if you're looking for 
purchasing the trainings, like there's like one place where they're like described and the schedule is. And then when you're on the checkout page is when you actually say, I want to take this training. So if you're confused about how to buy it, go to the checkout page and everything, everything like the, the summits, the trainings, everything is all on that page. Yeah. It's a bit more a la carte um, compared with previous years. So, you know, summarizing kind of Monday and Tuesday of DrupalCon week, those are your summits and trainings. So full day workshops, um, including the one that Ryan and, and myself and a couple other people will be um, helping out with. I should probably mention their name, you know, Marlene and April. Um, Marlene uh, um, is from, uh, I think, is it Seattle or Portland? She's up near in the, she's from Portland, okay. And April's from Asheville. A lot of people know April. She's one of the um, uh, Drupal Camp Asheville organizers. So those are on Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday and Thursday are all the sessions. Um, so where in previous years, sessions would mainly be on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, sessions are only on Wednesday and Thursday this year. And and the Dries note and the boffs and all that stuff. Yes, exactly. On Tuesday, on, on Wednesday, I'm sorry. And then Friday is a very typical of what it's been in past years, a, a contribution day, first time contributors workshop and, and, and stuff like that. Um, so you definitely, if, if you are interested in going um this is definitely you know something that, that you're going to want to check out if you're in especially if you're in the pacific northwest or it's easy for you to get there um one thing i want to ask you about ryan so i when i first saw the plan and as far as like the price was going up a little bit it was more a la carte i was a little bit worried about mm, it seems a lot more expensive and i think you and i both know um of people in the community who aren't going you know mainly because of the price and that had me worried for a while. Um, but when I started looking recently at the site and seeing that, you know, there's a content marketing track that's sold out, you know, I think the majority of the trainings are sold out. I'm beginning to think that maybe that's not the case, that maybe this is actually going to have the, the effect of bringing more people to DrupalCon. I mean, are you getting that feeling? I mean, I, we, I have no inside information, I, you know, so I'm just, basing that on what I'm seeing on the website as far as what's sold out and what's not sold out. Yeah. I mean, so, so I think there is definitely some attrition that happens, but at the same time, when you talk to those people, they say, well, but I'm going to go to bad camp or I'm going to go to mid camp, which by the way, mid camp is coming up really, really soon. I will be there next week. Mike is going, um, or, you know, I'm going to go to the gov camp, right? So like there's these big like tent pole, and, and sorry to be so U.S.-centric, I know that there are other camps, Drupal Europe. Um, DrupalCon London just happened. That was about 500 people. I Just because I live in the U.S., the people that I talk to, they tend to talk about going to the U.S. events, but there are other big events too. <laughs> um, so they, they will say, well, I'm going to go to this camp or this camp, or, or maybe they're going to go to two of those events rather than go to DrupalCon. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, but at the same time, They've created sort of like there used to be. So if you can imagine yourself as one of the people that would attend the content and marketing track, you would go to DrupalCon and you would look at sort of your buffet and you would go, gosh, I don't even know where to start. I don't know what I should be doing. And so one of the goals was to make this really accessible for sort of people who don't drink the Kool-Aid yet. And they want to just come and learn something about Drupal. And like, this is hosted by the Drupal Association. This is our official way that we get out information about Drupal, you know, on a recurring basis. And even just the fact of like announcing the cities in advance. A lot of these things were just about like trying to make sure that it was very clear what it was, who it was for, what was going to be happening there. And, um, and making it seem like this is not some fly-by-night operation, that Drupal is this official software that you can really learn about. It's it, Yes, it is maintained by a community, but it's sticking around, people. Um, it makes it feel more official to certain kinds of people. And it's really hard to say, like, you know, like, when you squint at it, like, does it look like a diamond or does it look like, you know, a, a baseball? People want People want to buy a diamond. They don't want to buy a baseball. So um, nothing wrong with baseballs either. 
it'll be. I, I'm very curious to see if the feel. I'm using air quotes there, but the feel of Drupal Concierge is a little bit different based on these changes. You know, based on the the, the people there and things like that. Um, but I'm kind of excited about it as well because it seems like if one of the goals of DrupalCon Seattle is to, um, it, you know, well, just to be blunt, is to bring more business and to and, and to you know bring more more organizations to Drupal. And if it if that's the metric that we're going by for to and I don't know if that yeah, I'm sure there's many metrics that the DA is using, but if that's one of the metrics that the DA is using to measure success, um, then, then then great. I mean, as you mentioned, there are so many high-quality Drupal events around the world. Absolutely. And for the most part, they scratch one itch, and that is the, the builders. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm super psyched. Yeah, I mean, uh, coming from somebody who's hosted many Drupal events, you know, you kind of you get those people that wander up to you at the registration table, and they're like, what do I do, sir? You know? Or maybe if they're like in between, they don't want to go to the intro class because they kind of already have been doing this for a while, but they don't know what the next step is, you know? Right. So I think there really is a place for DrupalCon in the world and DrupalCon as part of an ecosystem of other events. Yep, absolutely. All right, let's wrap this up because we're pushing an hour now. Oh, and just one more thing to say is that... um, Outside out outside of the sessions, all the other things that you know and love about DrupalCon, getting to have lunch with absolutely everyone, um, social events, you know, women in Drupal, social, there's like a new Drupal diversity breakfast that's happening and stuff. That's all, that's, that's for everyone. Trivia night, that's for everyone. So everyone's welcome to all the other stuff. Just the sessions are a little bit more separated out. There you go. Okay, Twitter, you're still Liberator. I am Liberator. Without the last model. Uh, as always, you can catch us at Drupal EZ. And Ryan, we're going to run through five questions with you because it's been so long since you've been on. And just to remind everybody about your amazing and quirky personality, <laughs> name something interesting you do outside of, uh, outside of Drupal. Right now, I am building a baby crib. That's It's like a three-part. It's a crib, a day bed, and a... a single bed out of a set of stairs. I found these like stair treads at a reclaimed materials store that are actually like this really exotic imported um, wood from the South Pacific. And I am building my son a bed. That is all right. Fantastic. And this, I don't think I know the answer to this. I've known you for a long time. What's your favorite movie? Really tough. Um, I should say, I should say, I should say the Muppet movie because, oh my gosh. And I sing songs from it multiple times a day to my child. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and say it's a film by Robert Altman. If you like Downton Abbey, this is the same writer who wrote Downton Abbey, um, and the legendary director, Robert Altman. It's called Gosford Park. I have probably watched this film 15 times. I've uh, I've seen the movie. I oh, know I've I've heard of the movie. I don't think I've ever seen it. It stars um, Colin, the guy, the transporter. No, that's not the transporter. What's his name? He's he's in the, that's the transporter. He's in the movie where he drives the cars. <clears throat> All right, you want to take a take a second and get yourself. Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. I was thinking about Gosford Park. Love it so much. No, it's a it's a murder mystery in a Downton Abbey style house. It's fantastic. So I thought about this question because I knew it would be on here. And I'm going to go ahead and say it's a YouTube show and it's called Smarter Every Day. I, oh, I love that. Yeah, I love this show. I realized that at some point that there were like hundreds of episodes that I had never seen. So I am just I'm binging. I'm going back when I get a lunch break or something and I'm watching all the old episodes and it's going to be really sad because in about a week, I'm going to be out of stuff to watch and I'm going to have to send Destin some Patreon and be like, Destin, please make more episodes. I think I know the answer to this next question. What distracts you the most? Everything, but it's usually my baby. 
Yeah, I was going to say, it's got to be the boy, right? Yeah. And maybe we've answered this in the podcast. Oh, no, I see you have an answer here. What Drupal project are you most currently excited about? This is another one where I was like, I want to say Layout Builder, but I'm also really interested in, and I want to have an opportunity to use a really cool project that's made by a local developer here, Sam Mortensen, um, who is also the prolific contributor to the security team, by the way. Um, it's called Tome, T-O-M-E. And the website is tome.fyi. This is a static site generator for Drupal 8. And essentially what this lets you do is rather than having to like build your site and then put it behind a varnish and a CDN and some other stuff, if you really just want to have a static Drupal site and you don't mind you know, not being able to have forms on your site, like web forms and stuff like that, then you push a button and... He actually has a lot of really good examples about how to do this with um, continuous integration servers too. Uh, you push a button and it will take all of your Drupal site and render all the pages out and save them to a Git repository. And the really cool thing is it has diff support. So if you only change one node and only these cache tags have changed, it will not update every file it will just update a couple of the files. It's I think he technically somehow uses like the caching system to do this. It's crazy. It's Drupal 8 specific. Yep. Drupal 8 specific. All right. Very good. All right. Let's wrap this up. As always, thanks to webenabled.com and devpanel.com. Uh, just saw Salim at Florida Drupal Camp, which I think this was uh, – or no, you – I think it's been two years since we've seen you at Florida Drupal Camp. Yeah. Is that right, Ryan? Yeah, it's yeah. been a while. So, but Salim, the principal guy behind webenable.com and devpanel.com, um, was again a gold sponsor at the camp, and he makes it. It's basically a family vacation week for him. Um, they go, they come down to Disney and come to the camp. So definitely check out webenable.com and devpanel.com. Listen to the podcast, find it on DrupalEasy.com, or search uh, for DrupalEasy on Spotify and iTunes and Google Play and places like that. And I think that's it. Let's um, let's wrap this up. Ryan, as always, great to talk to you. I will see you next month yes. for sure yes. in Seattle. Um, big hugs to uh, the, the the wife and uh, your your young man there. Cool. Yeah. And uh, thanks for taking the time today. It's this is always always fun, and I'm glad I had the time. All right. Well, we will see everybody on the next Drupal Easy podcast. See ya.